Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Today, we're going to keep a little more of a somber tone. We're going to talk about suffering. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, this is a hard topic to tackle because suffering, it can be very broad. But I'd like to really drill in on a couple pieces, primarily this this idea that suffering can very much be relative of course what i'm going through and quote unquote you know suffering from it's probably different from many others globally so i want to keep that in mind suffering is relative but as it is some problems possibly minor may seem huge at the time and uh, you know it can be things like going through a really hard sickness can be relatives passing can also be things like, you know, your kids staying up at night, you know, and waking you up and going through a season of (laughs) little sleep, which I can definitely relate to. Um, so, I mean, I think my, my question is more generally, how do you go through those seasons of suffering and, and suffer well? Um, and I think I ask because it's easy to want to escape that suffering, you know, and we're to be happy and, have good feelings. And so suffering isn't fun. We try to escape it, but I'm not convinced that's always the right answer. Uh, and so I'm curious your thoughts of how do we, how do we suffer? Well, how do we go through seasons of suffering small or big well, and be faithful in those seasons? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question and uh, appropriate because uh, we are, I guess we're a week away from Passion Week in the church calendar. And passion is uh, the word suffer. It's intense suffering. And uh, so we're heading in, because we're heading into Passion Week, by the time you might get around to listening to this podcast, you might be in the middle of Passion Week. So we'll, we'll share a few brief thoughts here, nothing original, but it might be helpful. Uh, I think of it in this way. This is the time of year that um, people start raking the lawn, aerating it, putting down all sorts of things that will slowly destroy the Chesapeake Bay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but what you're doing is you're preparing for what's going to happen eventually in the great state of Maryland. It's going to get searing hot and um, your lawn is going to suffer. So I think that one of the keys in suffering is not how do you suffer well, but how do you prepare well? Because if you wait till it gets in the upper 90s uh, in Maryland, it's too late. The grass is either prepared by having deep roots, deep enough roots to draw water from somewhere, or it's not, but it's too late. And so I think preparation is what we might talk about here, or how do we even understand suffering? And you, you had a point there about the we generally try to escape it 
I do think that one of the best books I ever read on this, at least to wade into this, if you're interesting, interested, is um, by Philip Yancey, Pain, The Gift Nobody Wants. I think we've talked about it here on other podcasts, yeah. but you know, they often say uh, if a book's worth reading once, it's worth, worth reading twice or three times. If it's worth mentioning once, it's probably worth mentioning several times. And at least that uh, that will that might fr- uh, reframe that uh, suffering is not uh, necessarily bad. Now, I do think also what we have to take into account is that we live in an age of pain medication, uh, uh, mediating pain or medicating it. And um, while that certainly has some legitimacy in some place, at some you know terminal illness and what have you. Uh, the fact is, we know uh, neurologically, the more you uh, medicate pain, the uh, lower and lower levels that you're able to even tolerate pain. And so uh, an argument can be made that people were more uh, able to tolerate and withstand suffering than uh, we are in this present age. So having said all that, it seems that the key here is to understand um you know why suffer uh and uh i think it's it's uh, has to do goes all the way back to in the beginning the word became flesh now in that key is i think is a way to at least get a little better understanding in the beginning the word became flesh. Do you, do you recall who wrote that and what that means? It's John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a nice full answer there. I really appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> it was John. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's referring to the word of God, Christ becoming flesh on earth. Mm-hmm. Pretty fascinating, by the way, John is called the disciple jesus loved and it's interesting at the cross jesus looks at his mother mary and he says to mary um this is your son and uh to john this is your mother now that's another way they're fleshing out the marital gospel Believe it or not, Eve is also uh, Mary is often called the new Eve. John embodies because he loves Christ, the also the bride of Christ, and so you have this picture here of what it means that the Word became flesh. This is what demarcates Christianity from all the other re- religions out there, and even unsettled the early church for several years before they fleshed this out in the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed is. This this uh, unbelievable. The word took on flesh and bones, became a mortal body. Generated is what the uh, the word there means. Uh, became begot became. We get our word begetting. We get our word generate. We get our word genesis. We get our word gender from all this, and so. Jesus was generated 
as flesh. And the, and the great debate, by the way, in the early church was, uh, was he created, Jesus as son, or was he generated? If he was mm -hmm. created, then he wouldn't be God, is what the argument. It might eventually worked its way out in the Nicene Creed. That's what he said. The only begotten uh, son of God, not created. They just made it clear. Arian, who was a teacher, was teaching that he was created. He was taking that from the Greek translation of the Hebrew um, Old Testament. And uh, he was, uh, the creed, the council concluded, he was a heretic. And that's a good word, word to use on that. Heretic means making up your own decision as to what something means. And uh, they said he was wrong. Now, that's a bit of a rabbit trail, but it brings you back to the word became flesh. This was a uh, stumbling block for the Jews. And uh, so in becoming flesh, he suffered, Jesus did. And so that's why when Paul writes that this helps us understand how we become like Christ and are saved like him, because you, well, let me just read here what he writes to the Philippians, for example. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse or dung in order that I may gain Christ to be found in him not having a righteousness in my own based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God depends on faith that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. But if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There's a whole lot in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything, what, anything stand out to you right away? Oh, well, at, at, at the end in particular, that I, you know, that I may obtain. Yeah, what's that all about? Well, I think it's, it's a hard one to chew on. I mean, I, I can think of a lot of back and forth, uh, not necessarily debates, but just conversations around well this this can't be a, a workspace salvation what is that you know what's that referring to right there's That's right. something there something to that that pushes on that a little bit yeah that's that's a really good point pat and um hey listeners three of you pay attention here for a moment <laughs> uh we don't want this to be so esoteric that it makes no sense or it doesn't have uh doesn't land anywhere this isn't esoteric. It, this has to do with how we understand becoming like Christ. In fact, you could translate Philippians in this way, um, that he wants to gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own, this is Paul, but that which is through faith of Christ. It could, it, it's, a, it's an interpretive decision. Is he talking about faith in Christ or the faith of Christ? The difference is faith in Christ is believing in Jesus to go to heaven. The faith of Christ is believing everything that Jesus says about salvation is true. You adopt his view of the entirety of salvation. This, Pat, is where you have a demarcation between 
ancient or older Christian traditions and the newer and more popular ones, especially in the United States. Yeah. Well, I, I think I see aspects of where you're going. You're th talking through, you know, is our suffering part of forming us as to, you know, to be of Christ? Is God use suffering to do that? That's right. To adopt his way of seeing the entirety of reality. That's what the faith of Christ would mean. Hmm. It's hard, so it's that hard. I may share his suffering, yeah. become like him in his death, and possible attain the resurrection. Possible. Well, I'm William, I thought I was saved. Right. So help me here. <laughs> What's he mean? Uh, I'm talking about the three tenses of salvation, I'm guessing. Yes, yes. Yes. So here's here's the big picture that we can we can chew on just for a, a bit. Is when I was led to faith, I was basically told um, you're saved. Our point here is to win people to faith, build them in their faith, and send them out to reach others. So evangelism from that point on became evangelizing people who didn't know Jesus because I knew Jesus, I was saved. And there is an aspect that that's absolutely right. I was saved, but you take a, a terrible witness to the gospel of the church in Corinth, and Paul talks to them about being saved because they are saved, and then um, so that they, in, in the uh, notion here, the picture, we have more time, we can tease it out another time, is in eternity, everyone's cup of joy will be full but the cups will be different sizes. Hmm. That's hard. That has to do, <laughs> yeah. And that one has to do with the degree to which you attain to the resurrection and become like him in his death and share in his suffering and take on his faith and so on and so forth and know him. In other words, listen, Kathy and I this summer will celebrate 42 years a marriage now we could say when someone says how do you know you're married you say well hold on let me let me go find our, our marriage certificate <laughs> and we were married so we are married but you can see right there that's what's called a static view of salvation it's basically i prayed to receive christ i was saved and i'm headed for heaven the problem is Gosh, if I do the math, this is crazy, Pat. This, that was 50 years ago. And what it doesn't account for, that view is, so what's been necessary for me for the last 50 years? Now that I'm saved. That's the key word, necessary. With that view... The empirical evidence, behavioral studies, are on my side when I say this. Nothing. What do you mean? There you go. If I'm saved, the equation doesn't change. My ticket is punched for heaven. Hmm. If you have right. an Amtrak ticket this weekend to go to New York City, what's necessary for you to do regarding the ticket between now and then? 
Don't lose it. <laughs> well, there you go. I hadn't thought about that. That's good. <laughs> no, your point is nothing. That's cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you're an Arminian, you. I knew it. You're a little heretic. That's right. Nothing is necessary. And so because of that, there have been times in my life when I just, you know, I was just so fried by the church. I didn't go to church for a year. Did I do that? Sure did. Why? It wasn't necessary. Was it necessary to read the Bible? No. Was it necessary? Now, those are all light and lilty. Is it necessary to suffer? Hell no. You get my point. Yeah. So my, my question here is thinking about, you, you, uh, so we're getting to this suffering. Suffering does help us to be of Christ. It is it is a but, part of our salvation. Yeah, but being how? Being saved. How? how? Paul doesn't tell you here in Philippians. He tells you in Colossians. Okay. Again, it's another verse that's very controversial, especially for Protestants. But it said, Paul says this, I am privileged to fill up in my fleshly body what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait a minute. That's enough. I was told when I was saved that Jesus paid 100% of the price. But then how could there be something lacking? How could there be something lacking? That's right. What's lacking? Um, in this case, suffering. No, he suffered. His sufferings are 100%, uh, what's it called? 100% satisfactory for me to be saved and my sins forgiven. So what's lacking? I'm not sure. Yeah, there you go. It goes back to here. Let me gain Christ. Paul, I thought you already have Christ. Well, I do. But I want to gain him. Why? What do you mean? I mean, like you saying, uh, you and Kathy happily married? Yeah. Well, then you're set. No. There's a whole lot of stuff that I do that doesn't help us grow in our marriage. And I must suffer the loss of it. And Kathy would say the same thing on her end. But if you think these are two perfect people, even though we're perfectly saved, that's past tense, doesn't mean we're going to have a perfectly wonderful marriage. It means there's going to be a lot of work that's going to have to be done, a lot of dying to stuff, that put to death stuff. Mm, you're... you're... You're still very firmly married. Yeah. But in fact, we're better married. Yeah. Because we can address stuff that is really hurting us. And my God, Pat, is one thing I've seen after 50 years of beginning this journey with Jesus is the number of Christians I know who have marriages that stuff that the couples just can't talk about. As in landmines. Yeah. As as always, the marital gospel is a helpful frame here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Be, I'm just thinking about what you said there of, of losing yourself. You know, these things that are not helpful to your marriage, you will have to suffer the loss of those. And sometimes they seem like very good things. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This is why, for example, he goes on to say in that very... Same book to the Philippians, letter to the Philippians. 
that um, he says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. You go, well, I thought you were delivered. Um, so with full courage, as always, Christ would be honored in my, we think the word there is, happiness, body, <laughs> in my body. Oh, my goodness. Jesus once said, a body you have prepared for me. Talking about his bride also. It's a double meaning. And you go, well, this is why Paul said to the Corinthians, wrote to them, I, betro I betrothed you, married you. I see a lot of translations, to try to, or a, lot, a lot of my evangelical friends, to be candid, say, uh, yeah, he engaged us. No, no, no. There was no such thing as engagement. It was betrothal. Betrothal is you're pronounced as married. Then you spend a year in preparation. Joseph went off to prepare a place for them, just like Jesus went off to prepare a place, and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. during that time, you do, you suffer. And um, why? So that the marriage won't suffer. Mm. Well, and so we have a, um, he says, for, for the sake of Christ, I've suffered the loss of all things. Why? Because we are privileged, Paul's essentially says in Colossians, to fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Those sufferings are totally sufficient for us to, to have been saved. They are not sufficient for being saved. It is all of grace that we are saved. It is our participation with Christ in being saved, which is grace and works together. Remember what, the, what James said? Faith without works is dead. Luther, I loved it, said, that's one right strawy epistle, meaning that's one damnable little epistle. That's a hard one to figure out. It's not hard to figure out. It's not. Because if the, with the marital gospel, and the marital gospel is depicted in marriage. And when our time on earth is done, what will my marriage to Kathy look like? Well, the answer would be great. How much, how much work <laughs> we put into it for, no, it's contingent upon how much work we put mm -hmm. into it after we got married. It will not be contingent on, well, again, go to the file cabinet and find that marriage certificate. That's, yeah. no, that's a part of it. So let me, let me ask you this. I'm guessing when you have a headache, you're still taking aspirin or something. Why, why is it that we, we, we look to some suffering and say, yeah, we don't obviously don't need to suffer for this, but other suffering we do. What's the difference? Well, first of all, your guess was wrong. Oh, really? Well, I think Americans do, but, um, you read huh, some of the older, mystics you also read uh, they're they're better than this in the east than they are in the west is if you're more in tune with your body uh, a lot of that pain can be mitigated or erased through um, meditation meditating on scripture there are all sorts of bodily practices that can mitigate pain um so 
Miriam, I mean, this is not exactly the same thing, but I was, I had back pain for like 20 years. I was, I was actually going to see doctors and just before they were going to do a, a surgery. One said, uh, why don't you go see this Dr. Tan, T-H-A-N and, uh, comes more out of the East and, uh, through a very, uh, simple, um, regimen, uh, the back pain over the course of several weeks was erased and, uh, <laughs> 60% UCLA, years. Uh, My goodness. this is this like, well, about 40 years ago, UCLA put out a study, I read it at the same time, 30 years ago, and 60% of back operations could be, uh, could actually be avoided by building your core. And that's since it's become yeah. common knowledge. Yeah. And so we are simply in a, um, you know, in a world that believes, uh, you, you, it's pharmaceutical is the response. For example, right now I'm in a flame tendon in my left arm because, you know, I was, I was benching like about 380. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was the, the 20th rep was just too yeah, much. <laughs> I was just like, dang, come on. And, uh, I so I really, and then when we were on there, we took a little break down in Florida. I just, I kept going to the gym and I come home. I was at night. It was beginning to throb. And I said, you know, I had, you get, get to rest this thing. And then I went to see a chiropractor and when I got back and started just a natural regimen of uh, having an inflamed tendon, relax adjustments. But one day I was, I was saying to our, our chiropractor, Eric, cause I was getting a little tired of this suffering. And uh, I said, you know, I wouldn't just a little steroid shot clear this whole thing up. We thought I'd suggested he disavow Jesus and become, <laughs> and he read me the riot act and what steroids do to ligaments and cartilage and this and that. I said, okay, 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 I got it, I got it. And he said, you've got to learn to endure in this thing. Endure. Sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Passion week is important. And I wish some of my friends would return to the original meaning of passion, meaning intense suffering. So I'm just kind of processing a little more. Where where do you see that line start to develop? I mean, oh yeah, that's great one thing, but yeah, you know, translate that to or fast yeah. forward that to, to cancer and all those other like where where does that line? Uh, well, I mean, they're respected medical authorities have done excellent work on this. I would just simply defer to them, but um, Gawande's got some good books and his first name escapes me right now, but um, it, I think, so there certainly is a place for pain medic, um, mitigation, especially, you know, when you're dying and things like that. I would just some think that the line has gone so far in that direction, but it's been coupled with, this is kind of interesting that um, it's maybe 40, 50 years ago that uh, Madison Avenue picked up on passion as being an unalloyed good. And so, you know, Novartis had a passion to do this. And I just, I, uh, you know, companies after companies began to pick up the line passion and really passionate about something. And we've talked about this before, but there is one place in scripture where passion is an unalloyed good it's it's depicts uh, uh nuptial union it actually depicts uh, orgasm um, consummation and um 
Well, again, in the, in the, in the marital gospel and understanding that Christ be honored in our body, it is impossible for someone to walk around in an orgasm. It's not a sustained lifestyle. It's a moment. It's what is often called a signal of transcendence of eternity. But you can't, you can't walk around that way. You can't live that way. Now you can live with suffering. As Kathy, my wife's uh, mom, Doris, lived, I think, 45 more years with rheumatoid arthritis. It racked her body. And I would say that was someone who understood suffering and suffered joyfully. She really did. I mean, would she have wished that on anyone or self-included? No. But did she gripe and complain? No. But I, did I watch her just simply will herself to get up? Thank God for a day, smile, and be joyful. It can be done. And there are saints. And there are these extraordinary stories we hear even from the past of people who have been canonized as saints <clears throat> dying while burning at the cross, uh, burning out rather on, uh, you know, being burned at the stake, Joan of Arc. And yet having a sort of a beatific vision you just go how do you do that well again if you prepare the ground and prepare your grass ahead of time when heat comes the grass can do well but if you wait till then it's too late yeah so th i think this is more helpful w what you're pointing out here is the nuance you're saying it's not a hard and fast line but no. we have likely I think it's pretty obvious we have moved that line probably way, way farther up than it should be. And, and I think that's a hard, again, it's not hard and fast. I think what I've seen and what I, what I resonate with what you're saying is the lack of contemplation on whether or not I ought to suffer. I think that's the mistake. It's not necessarily saying we should always suffer or never suffer. So that's right. That's it's right. We should contemplate whether or not we ought to be suffering in this moment. And sometimes God does cause to suffer, and sometimes He does not. That's and right. You got that headache? <laughs> you pop in the aspirin. You know, whatever you you need to contemplate, and and I think as you would say, really seek out your conscience and see if God is actually tugging at something. Yes, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I, when I played basketball a lot, I rolled my ankles. I think I counted a dozen on my right and six on my left. I mean, the kind where I was reminded of that old movie, "They Shoot Horses, Don't They." <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to say, man, put me out of my pain. And of course, I, you know, I elevated and iced it right away to mitigate some of that suffering and to promote the healing. But uh, yeah, what we're talking about is there's certainly a place, but you just hit the nail on the head. There's hardly a place anymore where I hear people um, who are in Christ, picking up Paul's language again, and saying, I wonder if they can gain Christ and be found in him here and know him better and the power of resurrection by sharing in his suffering. If that's so possible, my cup of joy might be larger in eternity. Hmm. Maybe I am 
this is my opportunity here to fill up what is lacking in fill up in my body that's an important thing fill up in my body and what i do appreciate about chiropractic is they do make it a point that um it's a to use a phrase from a, a church letter it's called um there's a, a an integral ecology in our body integral meaning a oneness in our body so soul spirit thoughts psychological pain physiological pain pain they're all interrelated and um they're seamless you can't pull it apart and say well it's not real pain it's psychological pain no that's real pain and and it is actually can be brought on by your body mm-hmm. and and there are ways to approach your body that are seen in older traditions that's why the spiritual disciplines for example pat yeah um that are pretty much foreign territory for most christians i know they're just foreign territory this is Lent. I, I think I count on one hand a number of people, the Christians I know. And again, they don't advertise it. But I know because I know them and we talk that they are quietly uh, practicing these disciplines of abstinence, which involve a very minor modicum of suffering because you miss that stuff. And uh, as part of becoming more like Christ and if possible attaining to the resurrection from the dead. But just giving him chocolate is not a, <laughs> I mean, but it, but it could be if you say, it's just, and here, here's where again, we've talked about this before, but we're fasting, help me. I would do that if I said, you know what, I'm coming to appreciate in my body that when I feel a little anxious, I shove some chocolate in my mouth and that releases, I've learned, that releases endorphins in my body. And those endorphins, if they had a voice to say, ah, all is well. <sighs> Take ease. Everything's okay. That's really not. Yeah. Take ease. Isn't that fascinating? Take ease. That's that story. The barns are full. Take ease, soul. And that's where the new word dis-ease came from. Came all the way from Genesis where God created days that begin with evening when your body takes ease and sleeps and you wake up halfway through the day. Evening, then morning, a day. Dis-ease, disease, is when even your body doesn't feel at ease and you try to mitigate that pain, that suffering. And the disease can be a real disease. It can be cancer. It can be, uh, it can be spraining an ankle so bad that you mitigate some of that by icing it. But you're right, there's somewhere along the way that we've pushed the line way over and it doesn't help that we've turned Passion Week into something that Hardly anybody knows, well, why is it called Passion Week? And what's Passion all about? And what does it mean that we're being saved? And uh, how does suffering fit into that? So once you lose all that, you're really at the mercy of uh, Madison Avenue as to how you view suffering and how you view passion. And Madison Avenue misses the boat pretty badly on this one. 
Just real quick, Mike, you're referring to Madison Avenue. I'm, I'm missing that reference. <clears throat> oh, that's the uh, advertising arm of them. That's Mad Men. Ah, got it. They're the ones who uh, come up with the phraseology, and they're really the ones who win on framing. Uh, um, the advertising industry isn't that old, but they understand one thing. In fact, the whole industry we've talked about is built on one thing. Discontentment. And so somehow, my 2002 GMC little pickup, I call the color dirt, but my kids call it gold. Thank God for grandkids. Hmm. Well, somehow, when I, if I drive that down the street and arrive at a destination with a, my friend's Tesla, we both arrive at the same time. <laughs> and somehow we get there bodily, but Madison Avenue continually says to me, dang, that's an old car you're driving, man. You'd be happier in a new Ford F-150. You ever sat in one of those things, Mike? You sit up so high and you don't feel a bump in the road. You'd be happier in a Ford F-150. C.S. Lewis talked about this, by the way. Listeners, if you're interested, you pick up, it's his initial lecture at Cambridge. And, uh, he said one of the great divisions in the new modern age, he said our ancestors would be shocked. I'm, I'm paraphrasing at our throwaway, how we discard stuff. And largely because advertising has built in a low level, below the surface, throb of discontentment in most Americans. And here's why this is important. Maybe we'll close here. Paul said this. Paul wrote this. Pat, Mike, godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by suffering. Contentment. Oh, I screw that up every time. You've read That's that right. so many times. That's all right. <laughs> if you want to talk about screw-ups, I'm the guy that wrote the book down and not you. <laughs> godliness is a means of great gain. You never think about that. You never think about you go, well, yeah, I, I want to be godly. Really, it's a means of great gain. What? I thought it was an end in itself. It is. But it's also a means towards something. What? Well, I think it's, it's a means to attaining the fullness of salvation. So it's a means when accompanied by contentment. And contentment is... Now think of Kathy's mom as a good example. If God so deems that I suffer from rheumatoid arthritis, I will suffer gladly that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead, sharing in his sufferings. He suffered. Why shouldn't I? We're going to be married. He's my husband. I'm his bride. Why shouldn't I suffer? And if I, in my flesh and my body get to fill up us lacking the suffering Christ, why wouldn't I suffer? Because I will adopt the faith of Christ and know him better and the power of his resurrection. Why wouldn't I suffer? Why wouldn't I not run from suffering, seek to escape it, but go before him and bow and say, thy will be done. 